Welcome to worship this morning. It is great to gather together um, in anticipation of experiencing Christ's presence. Um, I'm going to invite those of you who are joining us online to greet each other with the peace of Christ and uh, simply um, pass the peace of Christ to those who are worshiping with you online. I'm also going to invite you that um, as the acolyte comes forward to light the candle, that you are also invited to light your candle um, as a reminder that Christ is among us as we gather together on this day. Let us worship God this day. This day, begin to turn our hearts and our minds toward God. Let us come in expectation of experiencing afresh and anew the Holy Spirit, that that Spirit may help us connect with God, connect with one another, and grow closer to Christ as we seek to allow the Spirit to shape us and to form us and to send us forth so that we might make a difference in the lives of other people. Um, let us now in this time of worship as the quartet or quintet or sextet, I'm not sure what to call it, um, sings, his eye is on the sparrow. You may join with them. Mm -hmm. 
thank you all. And now the quartet's going to come this way, and the band's going to go that way. Um, now comes a, a special moment, I think, um, this day. Um, for many, uh, this is uh, going to be an anxious week. As uh, school begins to open up this week, there will be uh, many folks who uh, will be returning to classrooms in the midst of this pandemic, and the reality is we really don't know what the future holds. But behind this whole week, there's been a group of administrators and um, board members who have been uh, planning and seeking to, to do the best that they can. Um, and I don't know about you all, but I truly appreciate the work that they have done. Uh, because the one thing, yes, thank you. The one thing they were certain of is they weren't going to make everyone happy. Um, and and uh, they needed to do the best they could with the kids in mind. And, and I trust that's what they have done. Uh, but uh, we thought it would be uh, very important for us this morning to just offer up a prayer for all of the, um, all of the employees of the school district, um, as well as the students, uh, but especially those employees who are going uh, back to work uh, this week. And so I'd like to begin by just asking um, any of those folks who work in any school district, not just Cameron's, would you all please stand up? Come on. Stand up. Awesome. Um, and now what I would like to do is uh, I'm just going to offer a prayer and a blessing. And there are about 30 names of folks um, that I have. I, I realize this is probably not everybody, but these are the folks who responded and gave us their names. And so at a point in the prayer, I'm actually going to read off the names that I have. Um, if your name's not here, I'm sorry, the prayer is still for you. Um, and I'm sure the Spirit will still touch you and bless you. Uh, but those who are um, here, uh, you all are going to help me. Uh, for everybody who didn't stand, now you all stand. All right. Now look around for somebody who is still sitting and stretch your hand toward them. Um, okay. This is the best, I, you know, uh, what I would like to do is have them all come up here and we'd surround them and put our hands on top of them. That may not be the best practice, um, but this is what we're going to do. And so I just am going to ask you to be um, in this attitude of prayer. And for those who are online, um, I invite you to stretch out your hands toward your screen, toward your TV, or if you are an administrator, um, or an employee of the school, I invite you to receive this special prayer. Gracious God, as we uh, gather in this space and as we prepare for this week, we know that um, you have uh, been at work amidst those who have been making decisions and that um, your spirit has been upon them, uh, giving them and providing them with wisdom. And for that, Lord, we give thanks. We ask, Lord, that as we move into this week, that um, your hand would be upon uh, all of the employees of the schools, for the, uh, the teachers and the janitors and the cooks and the administrators and the bus drivers um, and, the, and the coaches. We just ask, Lord, that uh, your hand would be upon them. Give them a sense of peace. Uh, give them a sense of your presence. Let them uh, lead in this time of anxiousness um, with this degree of calmness and knowing that even though we may not know what the future holds, uh, we know that you walk with us and that you go with us. And for that, we will hold tight. We ask also, Lord, that you be upon the, uh, the, the kids and the, the youth and the children as they return to school this week, um, as they learn to uh, wear masks and learn to socialize in different ways, um, may you be upon them and show them, Lord, that just because we can't do things the way that we've always done them doesn't mean that we still can't enjoy um, being in the presence of one another, um, that we still um, can learn in new and different ways so that we might grow and mature. 
And so, Lord, I just ask as these names are read, that these folks would feel the special presence of your spirit upon them. Mary Terrell, Ann Clark, Doug Wyckoff, Kobe Poles, Lindsay Tate, Lauren Smith, Jamie Berry, Michelle Mensing, Cindy David, Stacy Early, Susan Harp, Kiki Boatler, Richard Berry, Maggie Kearns, Amy Gunn, Tracy Welch, Jason Welch, Melissa Stimberger, Brett Jones, Sheila Switlick, Matt Wink, Heidi Wink, Kristen Slatten, Marlon Roach, Stacy Robinson, Christy Dreesen, Dan Dreesen, Matt Robinson, Nick Steele, Amy Holder, Sarah Reno, Linda Morris, Caitlin Erdman, Jason Erdman. May your hand be upon these folks. May your hand be upon all of the employees of not just the Cameron School District, but other school districts throughout uh, the state and throughout the region. Indeed, give them a special measure of your strength and your courage and your peace this week. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated.
I don't know what that was, but that was good. We could do that again. We're going to continue in, um, in the book of Acts today as we continue to uh, unpack this, um, this history of the early church that was written uh, by, uh, by Luke. Uh, I think sometimes when we think of the early church um, and the first followers of Jesus, I, th- I think we have this, um, this idea anyway that these first followers of Jesus, that uh, when Jesus uh, resurrected and reappeared to them and, and told them to uh, make disciples by going, baptizing, and teaching, and said that they would be witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, we have this picture that the light bulb goes off in their heads and they get it and they have a complete understanding of what's going on. But if we've been paying attention to the book of Acts, we discover that that's really not the case. In fact, we see in the early church, we see, first of all, uh, the early followers of Jesus trying to struggle to figure out where do they fit in within their Jewish tradition. We forget sometimes uh, that they were uh, Jewish men and women who were familiar with the Hebrew Scriptures and very much understood things from that perspective. And we forget uh, that um, their intention was never to begin some new religion. Um, They understood Jesus to be the Messiah. The one who had been spoken about by Moses and had been promised uh, through the prophets to Israel. The one who would come, who would lead a renewal and a reconciliation and a restoration of Israel. And so we see these early followers trying to figure out, well, how do they fit in in this Jewish tradition, and, and we see as time goes along that there are other folks who are part of the Jewish tradition who embrace Jesus as Messiah, but as time goes along, we see more and more that they are pushed aside from the faith in which they come as uh, people who are heretical, people who uh, have totally missed the boat. And so we see this unfolding of the early church. In fact, the first 15 chapters of Acts is this unfolding as the early followers of Jesus seek to understand just what is the mission to which they have been called and how is it they are to go about this mission. And last week, we took a look at Saul. And in fact, this whole section, I think, from 9 into 15 is this transitional section in which um, we are challenged today as we hear these stories uh, to see differently, to see with the eyes of God as these stories unfold. And so last week, we looked at the story of Saul, a man who was convinced that he was following the way of God. Um, who was convinced that uh, he was doing what he was supposed to do as he hunted down and persecuted followers of Jesus. A man who was convinced that he was defending and protecting the traditions uh, of the temple religion. And yet we see on the road to Damascus as he continues to seek out God that Christ encounters him there on that road and completely changes his worldview and his understanding of God and of God's mission and of God's methods. No longer will he be someone who seeks to bring about God's ways and God's mission through violence, but he will be someone who seeks to bring about God's ways in the midst of suffering, even as he proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ. And um, as I said, these next few chapters, we're going to see as the church as a whole uh, begins to be shaped and formed. We're going to see how the church begins to understand their mission and how they actually begin to live out Jesus' call for them to make disciples by going and teaching and baptizing, to live out the mission that they were given to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And today we'll pick up the story in chapter 9 of Acts as we look at this story of um, 
of Peter and Cornelius. Now, often when we look at this story, I think we think of this story, at least this is how it was taught to me um, early on, is this is a story about how Cornelius is converted to be a follower of Jesus. And that's certainly true, but if we pay attention to this story, we discover the story is really more about Peter than Cornelius, if we really pay attention. And so um, we begin this story, in fact, in chapter 9, in verse uh, 32 through 48, um, we, we, um, we've just had Paul's experience or Saul's experience on the road to Damascus. Uh, now we're going to hear about Peter and the church at Jerusalem again. And, and as we go through this transition uh, section of Acts, we're going to go back and forth between Jerusalem and the church outside Jerusalem, between the apostles, uh, the followers of Jesus, and between uh, those who have gone forth. And we're going to keep going back and forth in this part of the story uh, but now we're back to listening about Peter. And if you remember earlier before chapter 9, Peter had been sent out. Peter and John had been sent out uh, to go into Samaria uh, to check out what was going on in these churches, in these, these uh, houses uh, that had been popping up as the disciples had been scattered um, after Stephen stoning. And so uh, the apostles, the original 12 uh, send out uh, folks to check what's going on and to check uh, the teaching and everything that's going on. And so Peter has done that. And we pick up the story with, with Peter going about uh, the area that's uh, around um, area of Judea. And we, we hear of Peter um, healing Ananias, a, a, some, a man who had been lame for eight years. And Peter encounters him and puts his hands on him and says, get up, rise, and walk. Similarly, we see Peter going into the city of Joppa. And in Joppa, he um, is summoned because a young girl has fallen dead. A young girl by the name of Tabitha has fallen dead. And again, we see Peter very much like Jesus did in the Gospels. We see Peter going into this room. Uh, laying his hands upon her uh, and saying, in the name of Jesus, rise. And she is resuscitated. Now, um, I, I find it interesting, you know, this, this story that we're going to hear next in chapter uh, 10 is not just a story of some marginalized follower of Jesus, but it is about Peter who has done these miracles, who has been with Jesus, and yet we're going to see that there is some of his understanding of who God is and what Jesus is about that still needs to be shaped and transformed. Think about that. Peter, one of the original 12 who had followed Jesus, who had just done all of these miracles, still needs to understand God better. Still needs to understand what uh, this mission he has been called upon is all about. And so in uh, chapter 10, we pick up the story and we're told, there is this man Cornelius. He's a Roman soldier. He is a pious God-fearing Gentile, which um, it means that he was kind of attached to the uh, Jewish tradition. He hadn't converted to Judaism. He hadn't been uh, circumcised, but he was interested in this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He, he participated in events in the synagogue, and he wanted to worship this God. And so we're told at 3 in the afternoon, which uh, for us may not uh, mean much, but at 3 in the afternoon, that's one of the hours when devout Jewish people prayed. 9, noon, 3, and, and 6, they would pray. And so um, this Gentile is in prayer, praying to God, seeking out God, 
And he has this, this vision, this experience with an angel from God which says, send some people to Joppa and have them summon, have them invite this guy by the name of Simon Peter to come to your house. And at least in this first part, this is, this is the gist of the story that we are uh, told. And so we're told, well, Cornelius, being a God-fearer, he sends out um, this uh, um, entourage to go to Joppa. And as the story continues, we're told as these folks approach Joppa, Peter, on the next day at noon, the time of prayer, finds himself on the rooftop Praying to God, offering up his daily prayers, seeking God, seeking God's wisdom and God's input. And then he has this really strange visit, vision. He has this vision of a sheet that comes down with a lot of animals that are in the sheep, in the sheet. And apparently these animals, some of them are clean, but some of them are considered unclean by the Hebrew laws. And he hears this voice that says, kill and eat. And Peter says, no way. Um, I'm a good Jewish law follower. I know better than to kill um, an animal, even if it's a clean animal that's come into contact with unclean animals. And this vision is repeated three times. That ought to be a clue to us as we think about the gospel story of um, Peter uh, denying Christ three times. Uh, but this, this happens three times. Three times he is invited to take and to eat. And Peter says, no way. And then we're, we're told um, this vision is interrupted by the Spirit, which says, uh, hey, Peter, there's some folks downstairs knocking on the door. Uh, when, they, um, when you answer the door, just go with them wherever they tell you to go. Now, I wonder what we would do today if that's an encounter that we had. I mean, Peter is already confused because he's trying to figure out what in the world does this vision mean? Uh, I, I don't even understand what I'm supposed to do with this vision. This doesn't make sense. And now I'm being told by, or, or, or nudged by the Holy Spirit that whoever these folks are at the door, I'm just supposed to go Wherever they invite me to go. So he goes, he answers the door, he sees this uh, entourage from, um, from Cornelius. And he gets this explanation, and the explanation they give him is, uh, well, um, our boss, he sent us here because he had this vision that uh, he was supposed to invite you to come to his house in Caesarea. Um, so, and he is, um, he wants you to come so he can hear what you have to say to him. Now, can you imagine if you're Peter? I, I mean, in, in this vision, in this experience, in this prayer, he hasn't been told what it is that he has to say to Cornelius. He's simply been told, go with them. Apparently, it's late in the day, and so he invites them into, his house, into the house where he is staying, and they stay the night. The next morning, they get up, and they head to Caesarea. And then we have this encounter as, um, as he arrives at the house of Cornelius, because Cornelius, I'm not sure he really knows what to expect at this point in time, but when Peter gets there, he, he bows down to Peter. He has this understanding of Peter being some uh, devout person that has a, a word that he needs to hear, and, and Peter is a little taken aback because he feels like, well, maybe Cornelius is worshiping me, and, and that shouldn't be going on. And, and so he says, what in the world is going on? And Cornelius, again, recounts, uh, the uh, vision that he had. And, um, and if we pick up the story, I'm actually going to read from chapter 10. And um, we, we pick up the story there. I love what Cornelius says after he explains uh, the vision in verse 33. He says, well, I, I did, you know, I, basically I did what the vision said. I sent for you right away and you were kind enough to come. 
And now here we are, gathered in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has directed you to say. Now, I don't know if I'm Peter at that point in time. I'm thinking, um, I don't remember God telling me what to say. But I suspect, as the disciples were told, that in points like this, they could trust that the Holy Spirit would give them the words. And I think maybe the light bulb begins to go off in Peter's head. And this is what Peter says. I really am learning that God doesn't show partiality to one group of people over another. Isn't that interesting? He begins uh, with a message saying what he is learning not what Cornelius is supposed to learn. I am learning that God doesn't show partiality to one group of people over another. Rather, in every nation, whoever worships him and does what is, is right and is acceptable to him. In other words, anyone who seeks after God, um, God invites them uh, to join. This is the message of peace that he sent to the Israelites by proclaiming the good news through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. When Peter recounts this story again in chapter 11, when he meets with the uh, Jewish or with the disciples in Jerusalem who are questioning what in the world he is doing interacting with the Gentile because uh, Jewish folks weren't supposed to do this. Um, he will tell the story uh, basically in, in the sense that the light bulb went off and he understood what this vision was about. This vision of clean and unclean being together um, and, and him being invited to eat. He was being told uh, by God uh, that all people, all people are invited into the kingdom of God, not just the Jewish people. And so he continues to give this summary of Jesus' ministry now to Cornelius. He says, you know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee? After the baptism, John preached. You know about how Jesus of Nazareth, whom God anointed with the Holy Spirit and endowed with power, this Jesus traveled around doing good and healing everyone oppressed by the devil because God was with him. And we are witnesses of everything he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him up on the third day and allowed him to be seen, not by everyone, but by us. We are witnesses whom God chose beforehand, who ate and drank with him after God raised him from the dead. He commanded us to preach to people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and of the dead, as the one who reigns over all of creation and the world, in other words. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And now, um, Peter is in the middle of his message here. And I don't know where he's going. Um, maybe his anticipation is at the end of this that uh, Cornelius will um, be converted to Judaism, will agree to be circumcised, and then will become a, a, a Jesus-believing uh, Jewish convert who, who is uh, convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. But we are told as we continue, while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on everyone who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter, Peter had not come alone. This was not just a private meeting, but there were folks who had come uh, from Joppa with Peter. And the whole household of Cornelius were gathered together. And it says that the Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. And Peter and those with him heard them speaking in other languages and praising God. And Peter asked, these people have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Surely no one can stop them from being baptized with water, can they? And he directed that they be baptized in the name of Jesus. 
And they were invited, and, and Peter was invited to stay with Cornelius. Do you see, we, we, we clearly see the transformation of Cornelius in receiving and understanding Jesus, but do we see how God has invited Peter to begin seeing things differently? God is opening the eyes of these early followers uh, to show them that this, this message, this news of the Messiah, uh, this news of the person who is the Lord and the Savior of the world is not just a message for his people, for his tribe, for uh, the Jewish folks, but it is a message for everyone. It is a universal mission. We will see later in chapter 15 how the experiences of Peter and Paul in interacting with the Gentiles and seeing the Holy Spirit at work, how the whole church begins to allow their worldview to be shaped differently. How they begin to understand that this narrow view of what they had about how God operates and works is being expanded. And they are discovering uh, that this good news, this new thing that God is doing in Jesus is intended for the whole world, not just for a Jewish nation. Not only is the Messiah a different kind of Messiah, but the mission is even bigger than they anticipated. Peter, Peter's concept of who God is and what God about, what is about is continuing to be shaped and formed. And, and while today as we hear this message, um, you know, I don't think we need to be reminded that uh, the, the message of Christ is a universal message that is intended to, uh, for folks, not just folks within the church, but folks outside the church, although sometimes it's good for us to be reminded of that. I think more importantly, as we hear this passage today, may it challenge us. May it challenge us to open up our minds and to open up our eyes and to seek God in prayer so that we might see things differently than how we normally see them. So that we might seek to see things from God's perspective. I just wonder if we were to do that, if that might change how we interact with the world. So often when we interact with the world, we are so convinced that we have all the right answers and we seek to persuade and to convince people that our way is right rather than listening and being open to seeing things differently. I wonder what might happen if the people of God, instead of looking more like Saul looked before his conversion, instead of looking like that to be more like Peter in seeking and listening, and even when we're a bit confused, continuing to pay attention to the Holy Spirit. Paying attention to how God is speaking to us and shaping us and sending us forth in ways that we may not understand. I think the other part of this story that amazes me is neither Cornelius nor Peter understood um, the full uh, essence of what this encounter would be. They simply had to trust God and to step out on faith and to continue doing what God called and led them to do. What might happen if the people of God spent more time in prayer Listening, listening for what God has to say to us rather than telling God what we want or what we anticipate or how we think God should act. What might happen if we paid attention to what God had to say to us 
What might happen if we joined in groups of people uh, from different perspectives and we began to hear each other and we began to see what God was up to? I think it's quite possible that we might gain a fuller picture of who God is and what God is all about and where God might be leading us as a congregation and as a people of God in these times and in this day and in this place. May we on this day open up our hearts and our minds to the very presence of the Holy Spirit, to the very voice of God, that we might be more fully the hands and the feet of Christ in this world that so desperately needs that right now. May it be so in our hearts and lives, in our neighborhoods. Amen.
for us this week, uh, just for one week, maybe you can try it more than that, but for one week, can we um, stop pontificating on all the things we know to be true? Can we stop telling everybody else where they have it wrong and we have it right? And instead, uh, can we seek to listen to what others say? And most importantly, will we seek to be in prayer every day? Not telling God what we want, not telling God what we think other folks should do, but asking God to give us wisdom and courage to do the things that he's always called the people of God to do. To live and to love like Jesus so that we might truly make a lasting and positive difference in the lives of other people. Can we try that for one week? Go in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.